All right, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. I'm reading from the New King James Version. It says this, And he himself, talking about Christ, and he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Verse 14, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine. He's growing us up. By the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but, verse 15, speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ Jesus. Now, keep your finger there and slip over to Hebrews chapter 5. Yo, Castro, can you do me a favor? Can you run to the bathroom and grab me a big piece of paper towel really fast? Hebrews chapter 5. And is there a bottle of water over there? My mouth is just drying up. Thank you, sir. He won't give uh, Sarah credit, but have y'all noticed Andrew, Pastor Andrew Styles like changing up a little bit? I'm just saying he's looking a little more Gen Z every Sunday. I ain't never seen him wear penny loafers until he got married. He looked like he got some money. I know how much he gets paid. Bless the man. Hebrew chapter 5, verses 12 through 14. Here's what it says. I feel the Holy Spirit. This is going to be a good Sunday. For though by this, uh, woman of God right there, I'm sorry, I just talked to you. I know you're her mom. There's ministry on your life. There's divine ministry on your life. Uh, you've been called to be a mother in Zion. Um, I see you mothering spiritually so many different people. And I don't know if you've been in an um, atmosphere where you felt contained or like caged, but I'm getting this picture of you kind of feeling caged. And I feel like you're about to come into a season of crazy freedom. And in past seasons, you've not felt um, permission to mentor and disciple a lot of different people, even though God's set some things up. In this season, I hear the Lord saying, you have permission to do what I've called you to do. And it's a lot. You're gonna bring a lot of restoration, a lot of healing. I see you even going into women's homes and praying for women. God's gonna give you a divine ministry towards women who have been brokenhearted, who have been abused. I'm seeing you work with those who are just so destitute and so out of it. You're gonna be like a female version of David where the Bible says David took the uh, depressed, they were in debt, all, it was just a bad group. And David said, I'll take them. And he made an incredible army out of them. People are gonna see the women that you take in and think, why would you do that? A year later, they're going to see, oh, I see the army. We saw dry bones, but you saw an army. And so in this season, God wants you to be encouraged. He has called you, and he's called you to do a great work, all right? Can we give the Lord praise for that word? It's awesome. Y'all are clapping like y'all jealous. I said, give God praise for that word. Don't make me nervous. Hebrews chapter 5. Let me read this real quick. That's called a prophetic commercial. Thank you, Jay. For though by this time, I'm reading verse 12 through 14, for though by this time you ought to be teachers. You've been saved a long time. You need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. For he is a babe. Our last verse, we're going to get smacked around a little bit tonight. But solid food belongs to those who actually have a prayer life, who are consistent. Are you catching this? We're going to dive into this. 
But solid food belongs to those who are of full age. That is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. Thank you, El. I was going to try to make this one whole message, but I'm just going to have to split it up and preach the second half next week. Today I want to talk about the priesthood of every believer. Next week I want to talk about the authority of all believers. And then we're going to jump in to talk around the apostles, prophets, and what all that stuff means. You say, why are we dealing with the priesthood of the believer? What does that mean? Why are we dealing with the authority of the believer? What does that mean? And why are we dealing with that as a preface before we start talking about prophets, apostles, and teachers? When we come to the book of Ephesians, we have to understand that this is not a people who have been saved for a long time. They've been obviously saved long enough that they should be at a stage of maturation, but there's incredible revival that breaks out in the city of Ephesus. Paul comes to the city of Ephesus, and it is reaped with metropolitan New Age doctrine all over the place. Everyone's having sex with everyone free-flowing poetry, and it's very out there. It's almost like San Francisco. It's just kind of wild, a little bit of a metropolitan city. Anyway, Paul comes to town, and revival hits the town, and one of their main gods, Diana, was a sex or fertility god, uh, and she was one of their top goddesses. Revival hit the city of Ephesus so strong that The people went to the temples of Diana, the statues of Diana, and they started toppling them over and destroying them without anyone telling them because revival had hit their soul. When you get really saved, no one has to tell you certain things. There ought to be Holy Spirit conviction that causes you to break the idols in your life that you had before you knew Christ. All right, this is going to be a hard Sunday. Yeah, yeah. In some ways, we have to teach you as pastors and leaders what sin is. I know some people believe you don't need to talk about sin because everybody knows that they're a sinner. Not in this generation. Maybe in a generation before, people had more Christian morality. But in this season, people don't even know what sin is. So we do have to talk about sin. But the good news is sin is a big deal. Grace is a bigger deal. But we can't jump to grace without talking about sin. Grace only means something because sin meant something. When we get saved and the Holy Spirit begins to fill us, remember, the Holy Spirit comes on us for the empowerment for signs, wonders, and miracles, but the Holy Spirit comes in us for personal conviction. So if you get saved and you don't walk in any level of conviction, I would check your salvation. If you cuss folks out before you got saved, and then you did the same thing two years after you got saved, and you don't feel bad about it, there's a problem with your Holy Ghost. Look at your neighbor and say, check your Holy Ghost. I'm not saying that having the Holy Spirit makes you perfect or faultless or sinless. It ought to make you feel bad for messing up. Oh, we shouldn't feel bad. There should be godly sorrow around your idols. And, And so I say that because Ephesus happens and a true revival hits Ephesus where a move of God makes them crash their idols that they were serving before. And Paul now has been away from the church of Ephesus for a few years, but there's some frustration here with the church of Ephesus, where Paul wants to see them mature spiritually, but they've been stuck in not knowing their identity. So we're going to talk about identity tonight, because you will never walk in the authority until you first walk in your identity. Let me try it again. I recently heard that you will never walk into your authority until you first walk into your identity. You gotta know who you are, whose you are, so that you can know what you've been called to do. 
say that because in the first three chapters of, is it all right if we have a little Bible study real quick? In the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians, actually, let me deal with the latter chapters, chapter four onwards, and then we'll jump into our text. Chapter four onwards, Paul begins to teach us how to walk. He says phrases like, I want you to walk in unity. I want you to walk in harmony. He says things like, I want you to walk in purity. But in the first three chapters, he doesn't talk about walking, he talks about sitting. When I was in high school, I got tired of going to school because it was kind of boring, so I would do my homework at home and hand in my assignments uh, once a week. And in that, I would babysit my nephew. He was about six months at the time. Now, I was ignorant, I was a teenager, I had never had kids, so Lisa, I was trying to get him to walk at six months. I mean, he has legs, let's go. And so I took his two little chunky arms and we start walking and I was serious. They thought I was joking, but I was like, nah, we are extra in this family. You get these legs together and you start walking now. And um, they, my grandmother uh, and his mom, my nephew's mom started laughing at me. And I said, why are y'all laughing? Y'all need to be taking this seriously. My grandmother said something I'll never forget. She said, baby, you won't teach him how to walk until you first teach him how to sit. And I looked at her and said, that don't make no sense. I don't care if he sits or not. We want him to walk. And his mom explained to me, he doesn't have the core strength to be able to walk yet. And so he has to first learn in his core how to sit, and then he can learn how to walk. Why does this make sense to me? Because in Ephesians chapter 4 onward, Paul's going to tell us how to walk. But in chapters 3, 2, and 1, he's going to tell you how to sit. What do you mean, Pastor Dell? He's going to say things like, your old man is gone, and you now sit in heavenly places. Oh, this is good. And many people, and this is where we get fraudulent prophets, apostles, pastors, and teachers, because they're trying to function before they've had their identity transformed. And so we try to use our function in the kingdom to tell us who we are. So we're passing out business cards and on our Facebook. We're not just, you know, delegates, or we're apostle delegates. It's Facebook. Don't take it that seriously. Like, calm down. But if I don't have my title... If I don't have my function, who am I? And Paul is getting ready to mature them with a word that we're going to go over over the next few Sundays where he's saying God himself has sent you gifts in apostles, prophets, and teachers. They're here to mature you, but I'm going to spend the first three chapters of this letter teaching you who you are. That you're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That your old man is gone and a new man has arisen. And that you're not just seated anywhere. Oh, I'm feel like you've got reserve seating (sighs) so y'all can't celebrate because you never had reserve seating but reserve seating will expedite you reserve seating will make it so you don't have to wait where everybody else has to wait I know y'all had to show up two hours early but guess what I've been seated I've I've got a different seat you go ahead and have your delay but I've been seated you ever walk by people and they look at you so mad because they've been waiting for their table for 15 minutes but they don't know you RSVP'd and made sure your tables are already ready I need to tell you that you've been RSVP'd by heaven not to sit in low places not to sit in I feel I didn't mean to preach today but you've been called to sit in heaven. Calm down, Dell. Please calm down. I was on a plane, and, and back when I used to travel a lot before COVID stole all my speaking engagements, I used to travel almost every week, and so I would always travel with an assistant. But this one ev- event that I was going to, uh, my assistant last minute couldn't make it. So I asked my media guy at the time, hey, I pay you full time. Get on the plane and come with me, because I don't travel alone. That's how preachers get in trouble. Okay. Um, 
your pastor really does try to live right, even off the pulpit. Um, and so I told my boy, I said, Nick, I need you to come on my plane. Now, here's the deal. I would usually purchase the tickets together with my assistant. Because I flew so much, I had diamond, whatever they call it, which is the highest level of priority. And so when, I feel like I'm giving you some good lessons right here. And so you travel so much, even when you buy an economy ticket, most likely you're going to get upgraded to first class. So I would buy my assistant's ticket at the same time. Because even though they don't have the same privilege as me, because I have the, y'all going ahead of me, you need to wait a minute. Uh, because I have the privilege, they would sit with me. Here's the problem. Nick didn't get his ticket at the same time as me. Because I want to talk to the people who got saved a little bit later. You, you weren't raised in the church. You, God pulled you not off of the lap of Jesus. You got pulled out of the club. I want to tell you that there's kingdom business waiting for you as well. Yeah, some of y'all think, oh, well, I don't have the spiritual pedigree that they have. I didn't, you know, I didn't grow up that way. Let me tell you, Peter was a cussing salesman. God can use you. So Nick gets on the plane, and he doesn't get upgraded. He's on economy. But I'm looking, and first class isn't full because the flight's kind of empty. And so I'm looking, I'm like, Lord, how can I do this? Because, you know, stewardess, if you know stewardess, they don't upgrade you. They don't even like you. They're there for the paycheck, right? If you're a stewardess here or whatever they call you, flight attendant, say amen because you know I'm telling the truth. Um, and so my boy, I'm sitting on the last row of the first class section, and he's sitting about two or three rows behind me in economy. And I, I would just look at and it was only like an hour and a half, two-hour flight, and every few minutes I would just look at him so sad like, oh, how's the weather back there? <laughs> Food's a little different, huh? And every now and then I'd start talking to him. Finally, the steward and the, the, the flight attendant, Holy Spirit, notice, flight attendant, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to say Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, flight attendant noticed a conversation that was happening here, and she said, is he with you? I said, yeah, he is with me. I said, tell him to come sit up here in first class. I said, okay. So I walked over. See, some of y'all would be like, really? No way. Shut up. No. You, you want to bless me? It's free? Let's go. Um, Nick, come on. Come on. Because some of y'all's false humility is messing up your blessing. I'm going to just give y'all that for free. And so I bring Nick up to the front with me, and we're both now sitting in first class, not because of anything that he's done. He hasn't paid a price for anything, but because I paid a price, and because I have access, he now I, okay, you need scriptures. I got you, knucklehead. You are now joint heirs with Christ so that everything that he has, the same spirit that raised him up from the dead, now quickens your mortal body, and you're using it only to repent? only to pay your bills? My friend, you are living in economy class when God's called you to first class. But you need a revelation of where you've been sitting. Some of y'all have been sitting too low. I feel like hanging out here a little bit. You've been, you've been hanging out. And, and sometimes it's because all you've known is economy class. All you've gone to are economy churches with economy small groups with economy accountability partners where we're just going to play it safe. Come on, we're, you're my accountability partner. I'm just going to ask you one question every week. You look at porn, you have sex, and that's where we end. Why don't you keep me accountable on the other parts of the gospel where it says that signs and wonders will follow those who believe. Keep me accountable there. Have you healed the sick this week? Yeah, y'all not ready for first class pastoring. Some of us have sat in economy too long. And we're living beneath the means that God has had us. And you're frustrating progress. Because we should be farther. 
Paul gets frustrated in Hebrews. He gets frustrated in Ephesians. He said, you ought to be grown up now, but you're so immature in the faith. You have no maturation. And I'll throw this in for free and then I'll move on because y'all don't like this point. Um, We misunderstand the context of Isaiah where he says it is the anointing that breaks the yokes. He is not talking about somebody who's anointed laying hands on you. Because how many of us have seen somebody who is heavy yoked come down to an altar, somebody anointed, pray for them, and they walk away with the same bondage? Then the anointing, as we know it, is not what breaks the yoke. We messed up the translation. The original translation of the word anointing there is sometimes interchanged with the word fatness because oil and fatness is similar in the language. So what it really should read is the fatness is what breaks the yoke. What does that mean? I got you. I studied it. The farmers back in the day would use a a heavy yoke over the uh, neck of the oxen. They would start with a calf, and what would happen is that the calf would develop and grow to the point where he would break the yoke because he had gotten too large. It is not the shanda, banda, ikota, rita mabota. That's not what saves you. That's not what breaks you free. He's saying it's fatness. What is fatness? Maturation. You know how you break strongholds? You pray when you don't feel like it. You read your Bible when there's no hair standing on top of your arm. This is how you walk in maturity and you, and you stop needing these quick fixes at the altar. Because you start walking with God, he starts maturing you. You stop thinking that you have the right to be offended at everything. You s- ooh, ooh. Y'all felt that too, huh? Okay, let me hang out there. Uh, because that's part of immature Christianity. Where you feel like you have the right to be offended. I never have the right to be offended. I'm going to be offended. I don't just, I just don't get to stay offended. All right. I, I tried to dress cute so that the word would go down a little better, but it didn't work. Um, let me give you a little bit more background and then we'll dump into the meat, get out of here and get to the restaurant before the Baptist. The doctrine of the pre, are y'all all right? Are we good? Okay. Good. All right. Y'all a little excitable. I don't know where y'all were during worship. All right, uh, the doctrine, <laughs> I didn't need to say that. The doctrine of, the, the doctrine, stop distracting me. The doctrine of the priesthood of all believers states that all believers in Christ share in his priestly status. Therefore, there is no special class of people who meditate or who mediate the knowledge, presence, and forgiveness of Christ to the rest of believers. And all believers have the right and authority to read, interpret, and apply teachings of Scripture. For those of you, how many of you have a Catholic background? Let me see your hand. Wave at me. So some of you have a Catholic background. So you remember I went to Catholic high school school and they made us go to uh what it confessional they only made me go once yeah the priest didn't want me back no literally I remember the conversation I'm a teenager I think I was ninth grade first confessional and I grew up Pentecostal we only confessed to Jesus and I grew up black Pentecostal you don't tell nobody your business you make the Holy Spirit find it out and so I'm sitting down with this priest Jonathan and he's like okay do you have anything to confess and I'm like Yes. And he looks at me, go for it. And I'm like, not to you. And he starts giving me their theology or doctrine around absolving sin. And I had gone to Bible study. So I pull out scriptures and I talk about how Jesus said, call no man father. I pull out scriptures talking about how only God is just and able to forgive sins. Because 
The church, and, and I, this doesn't just work in Catholic church. You see this in Pentecostal church where people think that they have the right to give you permission to grow in God. And if they don't give you the authority, you can't do anything. But I want to tell you that the priesthood of the believer means that your ministry is not in the hands of a pastor. As much as you need to be submitted with your rebellious tail, because you do need to be submitted. You better say amen. Right. Amen's got a lot weaker on that one. (laughs) You need to be submitted. But at the end of the day, no man holds your ministry in their hands. Nobody holds your forgiveness in their hands. That is all sovereignly to God because now the cross, see, we think the cross just provided salvation and there's more. The cross provided so much more than salvation. Let's look at Hebrews again. Look at Hebrews chapter 1, and we're going to read verses 1 through 2. If y'all are still online and y'all still with me on YouTube and Facebook, just let me know. Give me a little amen or something. Because I'm about to lose them in the room right now. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 2. Long ago, God spoke many times and in many ways to our ancestors, some versions will say to the elders, through the prophets, but now in these final days, he has spoken to us through his son. Here's what that scripture is saying, that in the Old Testament, there was a day where God did not speak directly to his people. There was no direct communication. He was a distant God. And so they had to get a hold of God by going through priests. Now, this is important, and I need you to catch this, because if you don't catch this, you'll miss the whole message today. Priests were these specially designated people who were near to God. Their whole job was to give people access to God. So you remember the chief high or the high priest once a year, Yom Kippur, he would go into the holies of holies and repent on behalf of everybody else because you and I could not repent on behalf of ourselves. We needed a priest to go before. We still need a priest. He's just, his name is Jesus. That's the only difference. I say this because that is no longer the case now. There's not a once a year, God, if there was a once a year repentance, that would be a long day and a whole lot of killing. <laughs> or, oh, that's just my testimony. Okay. <laughs> but now because of Christ's work on the blood, and why don't we sacrifice anymore? The Bible says that there needs to be the shedding of innocent blood so that there is the remission of sin. Is it all right if I teach you for a little bit? Now, up until Jesus comes, you needed a spotless lamb, a spotless animal, but Jesus comes and you no longer need that. Why? Because you will never find an animal, a person, or a preacher who is more perfect or spotless than the lamb of God. So up until Jesus is coming, you had to provide a lamb for yourself. God the Father provided a lamb for you and he became the sacrifice for you. Now in doing that, he rent the veil. You remember in the New Testament, when he died, he gave up the ghost, the King James says, and then it says that the veil was rent. Now if you know anything about priest history, the veil would be about four inches of velvet, thick. So this is not like an easy little rip or tear. Jesus rips it, but it's a metaphor for what he's done now in our life. Because in the Old Testament, you could only get into the holies of holies, one, if you were a priest, and two, if you were perfect. But when he rinsed the veil because of what he did on the cross, he now says, you don't have to be perfect to meet with me, and you no longer have to be a priest to meet with me. Y'all are not amening like that's good news. That is good news. That I don't have to go to my pastor to get a breakthrough. Amen. 
I can go to my knees and get a breakthrough because of what Christ has done on the cross. Now, that doesn't just give me access to stuff. We focus on stuff, the healing, the deliverance, all that stuff. It gives me access to a new identity. Before Christ, I had to keep killing animals because that was my righteousness. Now, because my righteousness, because some of you think I'm not that bad of a person. You are evil. Let me make that clear. I don't want you walking out here thinking you're a good person. You are evil. You know how I know you're evil? Because the Bible says you are. Don't look at me in that tone of voice. Don't make me tap into the prophetic. Y'all got nervous. I'm joking. Calm down. <laughs> it's like, wait, we don't play about the prophetic around here, Pastor. <laughs> it's like, if, let's be honest. We are all evil. But even in that, because of what Jesus did, he made it so that even your best righteousness, it's not good enough, but his righteousness is good enough. So he now says that you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So what he's saying is the righteousness that you have is not yours. It's like you put on a jacket. I, w I wish Jay had brought his big fluffy overcoat, right? Got that big old pimp jacket, right? That's like what righteousness is. It's this thing that you put on. You, it's not yours. So when you take glory in how saved you are, when you boast in how well you're living before the Lord, if it's not his righteousness, it does not count. The cross provided that for you. It provided access to his righteousness. Oh, I know we don't get teaching like this in the Pentecostal church, but we need this. Because we live based off of feelings instead of faith in his word. Because there are some days where you don't feel like you can come to God. I don't care how you feel. You realize there are some days I wake up, my, I promise you, I wake up feeling skinny as heck. I, I put on jeans that I couldn't fit in one. I was like, come on, six pack. But let me try to get on the roller coaster. I'm going to have a rude awakening. Take that little fat people walk of shame. Don't act like you don't know what I'm talking about. We all look at the big people like me walking down like he knew. <laughs> let me move on. Let's see what I want to hit you with next. There's so many directions I want to go. Paul tells us in the first three chapters how to sit. In the next few chapters, he's going to tell us how to walk. Walking is a metaphor for maturation. At the end of the verses that we read in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15, Paul says this, speaking the truth in love that you may grow up in all things. So as he's getting ready to give us what he's going to give us, he's, he's talking to a people who want to grow. So I need to, before I give you this, do you want to grow? I mean, you don't have to necessarily respond, but in your heart, I, I need to ask you a real question. Do you want to be right or do you want to grow? Do you want to be comfortable or do you want to grow? Do you want to play it safe or do you want to grow? Because this is not for people who just want to say, bless me, forgive me, give me. Not this message. This is for the people who say, Lord, make me, change me, shift me, make me more like you. So with that said, for all the folks that want to grow, Here's what it means when we talk about the priesthood of the believer. That all believers are priests. It means that not only ministers, but also the person in the pew has the right and authority to read Bible, to interpret scripture, and to apply the teachings. 
A cast of priests, like I said before, does not have the right to hold you from interpreting and being inspired by the word of God. No longer must we place our implicit faith in the teaching of the church as a whole. They are not the ultimate authority. Christ is the ultimate authority. The Holy Spirit is the interpreter and the illuminator of scripture. And it does not, I'm not teaching that we're not submitted. Because try to be rebellious in this church. We'll have a meeting. I believe in submission. But at the end of the day, you have to stay true to what God's called you to do. And sometimes the church will miss it. Sometimes leadership will miss it. You have to stay true to what God's called you to do. Now watch this. In the Old Testament, God was distant from his people as a whole, but there were priests um, that were connectors from man to God. And I I like what Pastor Andrew was telling me earlier. He He was indicating that it was more rare for apostles and prophets to be seen, but priests were more everyday. They were more common. You didn't treat them common, but they were more common. So if you needed a blessing, a special prayer, or anything like that, you were not allowed to do it. You had to call the priest to pray the prayer of blessing. Like I said just a moment ago, the cross eliminates that. And we come to Ephesians, Paul spends those first three chapters talking about where to sit. He spends the next few chapters talking about how to walk. Now let's jump into what Paul is teaching us about the priesthood. Because my question now comes, Paul, how do we make that transition from sitting to walking? You've taught us how to sit in identity, and now I know who I am. What does the transition to walking looks like? Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 12 is a revolutionary thought for the uh, new followers in Ephesus, the part where he tells them to do the work of the ministry. Let me read that, Ephesians 4, verses 11 through 12. And God himself gave some to be apostles, prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. You're hearing that with your New Testament 2022 ears. I need to take you back to the Hebraic culture and how they heard it. When they hear that we've been called to do the work of the ministry, mind blown. Because up until Paul giving this teaching, all of the ministry happened by the synagogue leaders. And we tithed, we paid them to do the work of the ministry. So when the children, uh, when the people in Ephesus hear that now you've been called to do the work of the ministry, you've got to understand that that is an intimidating thing for them. That their mind has been blown. That we have access to actually minister? And we've been called to minister. I don't even know if Paul here is speaking to them out of frustration. Maybe he's giving them access to something they didn't know they had access to. And he's calling them a little bit higher. And so he says, I know that you think that we've been called to do the work of the ministry. We're establishing churches, we're evangelizing, we're pastoring and teaching folks. But actually, the goal is for you to do the work of the ministry. Our job is to empower you. I think one of the biggest problems is that we as leaders and pastors, and I've got to repent of this, we have disabled you from doing what God's called you to do because of our insecurity. And we've thought no one can do it like us, so we'll do all the preaching. Nobody can sing it like us, so we'll do all the worship. But Paul introduces a new concept to say that the platform is not the crux of ministry. They're just here to teach you how to do the ministry. So can I present that to you? Because that might be new for you. This might be the first time you realize that you've not just been saved, you've been ordained. Let me make you nervous. I know you didn't go to an ordination service like Pastor Andrew, but listen, when you got saved, you got ordained. 
Up until you got saved, it was all about you. As soon as you got saved, it's no longer about you. It's time to get to work. <laughs> so real, real talk, what have you done in the last five years for the kingdom? What effects have you made? I'm not talking necessarily, you know, planting a church or doing something big or uh, magnanimous. I I'm saying, who have you talked to about Jesus? Who have you shared your faith with? Because that's what you and I have been called to do, and I've been called to teach you how to do it. This is why we did altar call ministry training. Yeah, I'm going to pick a bone. Not just to teach you how to pray in an organized setting, but to teach you how to do what you've already been called to do, pray for people. And I had people say, I can't go because I'm not ready. What, what, what do you need to be ready? Another salvation altar call? It's so quiet. I must be fussing too much. But I think the concept is that many of us don't even have a clue that we've been called, that we've been ordained. And so when we hear stuff like ministry training or evangelism or missions, we just let it go over our head. That's not, he's not talking to me. He is. The whole go throughout the earth and preach the gospel, that's to you too. <laughs> when Jesus died, he did more than simply save us. Jesus' death gave us access. Before, only the priests could enter the holies of holies. Now we have access. Before, only the priests could have access to special blessings. Now we have access. Before, only the priests could commune with God. Now we have access. Not everyone is called to be a prophet, but every believer has been called to be a priest. One more time, we have not all been called to be prophets, but we have all been called to be priests. The primary function of a priest is to assist people in accessing God. The role of every priestly believer is to assist in bringing folks closer to Jesus. So when I ask you if you've been living in your priestly anointing, what I'm asking is, have you been giving access to God? Have you been dishing out closeness to God? Have you been, as an intercessor, bringing people closer to God? I was doing a little research so that you wouldn't have to, and I found five things, five functions that priests uh, had to perform in the Old Testament that I want to relate to our ministry calling for today. Are y'all ready for this? Thank you. Make me nervous. Number one, the call of the priest was to release blessing. They would release blessing. In Numbers chapter 6, God actually tells Aaron and his sons as priests how to bless the people, what to say. How does that relate to the New Testament? In Luke chapter 6, verse 28, Christ tells us to bless those who curse us. Wait a minute. How can we bless people when we're not priests? It's because we've been made priests. So in the Old Testament, only the priests could release blessings. Now we as believers, because we carry a priestly anointing, we now can release blessing. And as a matter of fact, it's harder to release blessing now than it was in the Old Testament. Because in the Old Testament, they blessed people that they liked. For the mature believer, you got to bless people you can't stand. Don't say amen too loud. Can I ask you, what do you do to the people who don't like you? What, what do you talk about? What do you say in your head? Are you releasing blessings or cursing? Because if you're a priest, we're not releasing cursings. It saddens my heart to watch believers rejoice when someone that they don't like experiences a demise. I don't care if there are a preacher who was caught in sin. We do not revel in the demise of other people because we've been called to bless. Next one. 
They were called to teach the law. In Leviticus chapter 10, verse 11, God commands the priest, teach my people the statutes. Teach them my law. They were called to teach the word. In Mark chapter 16, verse 15, Jesus tells us to preach the gospel in Judea, Samaria, and around the world. How can we preach the gospel and teach his word except that he's made us priests? This has been our call. Again, I'm giving you the functions of a priest in the Old Testament, but I'm giving you your function as a priest in the New Testament. So number one, the priests released blessing. Number two, they taught the law. But number three, they were called to bring reconciliation. Once a year, the high priest in Yom Kippur would sacrifice a bunch of animals and bring reconciliation. In the Old Testament, they would constantly make sacrifices, the priests would, on behalf of the people. But look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Here's what it says for us in the New Testament. That we, you and I, have been given a ministry of reconciliation. So in the Old Testament, the ministry of reconciliation was reserved for the priest. It's also reserved for the priest in the New Testament. The problem is, you don't have to go to seminary to be a priest. You just have to accept Jesus in your heart. Now you are a priest. So that same anointing, that same call to reconcile that was on the priest of the Old Testament is on every believer now in the New Testament. If you're still with me, say yes. yes. Number four, their call or their function was to determine whether someone was sick or healthy. You remember even Jesus, when he heals, uh, he healed a man, and there was another instance, I think, with the lepers. After he heals them, what does he tell them? Go show yourself to the priest. Why does Jesus say that? Because the priests were the only ones who could approve whether someone was healed or sick. Because you remember, there were punishments according to the sickness that you had. And so the priest would determine, are you safe to be around, or do you still have COVID? Have you gone through your five-day quarantine? Are you still stuck? And when you got healed, you would have to come to the priest to be approved that you're healed. That was one of the functions of the priest. How does that relate to us as New Testament priests? Baby, I wish I would see sickness. Because my Bible says that I've been called to lay hands on the sick and watch them recover. That no snake or harmful thing would cause me damage. That I've actually been called not just to heal the sick, I've, I've been called to make people nervous when I show up to funerals. Y'all ain't with me tonight. But I want people to be nervous when I show up to, oh, like, oh God. One of my favorite testimonies, Smith Wigglesworth walks into a, a, a funeral in San Francisco across from the street, across from the church where we started Collide. And he's in this church in the funeral and he just walks up in the middle of the eulogy, picks up the man out of the, um, the casket, puts him against the wall and says, I forget what he says, but he probably said Jesus or something, you know, in Jesus name. And the man falls. So he picks him back up. Now people are looking like, we're going to knock the crap out of this guy. He picks him up. Second time, same thing. So a bunch of men come and try to take him down. But he picks him up one more time and he punches the dude. <laughs> in the funeral, right? I'm like, this is bad. Anyway, they arrest the guy. Arrest is in citizen's arrest. They pin him down. And as they're pinning him down, the dude starts coughing and comes back to life. The emergency fire police... This is a, you can find this in the history books. The fire police, what do you call them? Fire department. Yeah, it's like not the fire police, Lord help me. Fire department, <laughs> they show up because they said, where's the fire? Where's the fire? 
Now at this church, Glad Tidings, they had had 24-7 prayer going on in the bottom of their altar. They have an altar similar to this, and underneath there's a catacomb. And they would keep intercessors there nonstop for years to pray, pray, pray. And so when this funeral was happened, the man raises back to life. The fire department is like, where's the fire? There's, there's no fire. And they say, why do we see all the smoke? Everybody comes out, and there's the Shekinah glory of the Lord coming up from the building. This is, I think, in the... 50s, it's it, early 1900s, somewhere in Wigglesworth was a lot. And, uh, and, the, and, and they say, oh, that's not fire that you can put out. Jesus. That there is a fire that's burning that cannot be quenched by any man. Why are you saying that? Smith Wigglesworth was the determining factor whether this man was healed or whether he was sick. He just had to be bold about it. Now, please don't go to funeral homes unless you've been called because I do not have enough money in the bereavement fund to bail you out, Jesus. But I say this because when you see someone who gets sick, as a priest, you get to determine whether they stay sick. You didn't hear that. You've been, no, I, it's just up to God. That's not what the scripture says. He told you to heal the sick. I know, but it's all God. I know, this is theologically just not what he said. <laughs> he told you to heal the sick. And we don't like that because we don't want to fully embrace what God's called us to be and the authority that we've been called to walk in. And some of that is from Western Christianity that teaches you a false idea of humility. That humility is to deny who you are and all that you have. That is demonic and it's a doctrine of demons. I said that with my chest. Because some of you are using false humility to stay beneath the means that God's called you to. So when you see a sick person, do you feel the authority to pray for them and see them healed? Because as a priest, you have that authority. Now, before Jesus dies, you don't have that authority. You've got to go to the priest and they determine whether someone's sick or healed. But in the New Testament, because Jesus did it, you get to do it because he's made you a priest. Is this making sense? My final point. Let me run through these really quick. Number one, a priest was called to release blessing. Two, they were called to teach the law. Three, they were called to bring reconciliation. Four, they were called to determine whether somebody was sick or healed. But number five, and this is the one I want to land on. Priests were called to minister to the Lord. To the point where they would even have folks on staff whose whole job, they were full-time mats, full-time worship leaders, to stand up there full-time, get paid to lead worship because there was a call for priests to minister to the Lord. In the New Testament, we're told that everything that has breath needs to praise the Lord. Your life as a believer, as a priest, now we've been called to minister to other people. We've been called to lay hands. We've been called to raise the dead. But at the end of the day, it's so that we can minister to the Lord. So come here. Can I ask you a question? How's your ministry to the Lord? I want to ask every preacher watching me, how's your ministry to the Lord? Not your ministry to the people. Because I know a lot of preachers who are in the scriptures only when they need to prepare a sermon. They only pray when it's time to preach. But they have no ministry to the Lord. When's the last time he was able to take an hour out of your day and you just lay out and let him do whatever he wants to do? When's the last time you spent more than five minutes telling him how beautiful he is, how much he, you love him? Well, because that's part of the responsibility of the priest that we've been called to minister to the Lord. When we come on Sunday nights at 5 p.m., this should not be the priest leading us. It should be a room full of priests. It should be a room full of priests who have come to minister to the Lord. Well, I don't really know the song. You can still minister to the Lord. I don't really like the song. <laughs> you can still minister to the Lord. 
having a bad day. Minister to the Lord. We have to mature so that our ministry to the Lord stops being stagnated by immature um, small matters that keep knocking us off track. Does that make sense? When you have a consistent devotional life, I talked to our, our ministry team about this today. When you have a consistent devotional life, many of you think that you can make it with a public life without a private life. I have about 30 names that I could list off right now of people that I started off in ministry with full-time. I mean, we prayed Maya for 12 hours every night. We were full-time intercessors. And I can name about 30 who don't even know the Lord anymore. Because they had public ministry, but they did not have a private ministry to the Lord. What's your walk like when nobody's keeping you accountable? When your pastor's not checking in on you, is there still a hunger and a thirst for the Word of God? Are you still desperate for His presence? Because as priests, our ministry is not just to people. Our first primary and ultimate ministry is unto the Lord. So I'm going to stop for a moment, and L, you can help me out on the keys. I want to ask you sincerely, sincerely, are you functioning in your priestly role? Are you functioning as a New Testament priest? What does that look like? Are you releasing blessing? Are you teaching the word? Well, I'm not a pastor. Teach your kids. Get your nephews and nieces together. Teach them John 3.16. Memorize it together. Are you reconciling people? Listen, are you reconciling people closer to Christ? Or are you making people go farther from Christ? Number four, are you healing the sick? And that's not just physical. But when people are brokenhearted, can they come to you and then not grow worse? Can you be empathetic toward their needs and their pain? The last one, do you have a ministry to the Lord? See, if not, most likely, if you're not functioning as a priest, most likely it's because there is a blockage here in your ministry to the Lord. If you're not functioning in priestly authority, if you're not walking in the priesthood of the believer, it's because you're not walking in the devotion of a believer. I heard a quote recently from a great seminarian named Pastor Andrew Min. And he said this, but remember, priests needs to take care to remember they are only as priestly as they are close to God. Every believer needs to continually cultivate nearness to God. One more time, because I need that to sink in. A priest needs to take care to remember they are only as priestly as they are close to God. Every believer needs to continually cultivate nearness to God. I put it this way. If our authority is derived from our identity, I want you to know that our identity flows from a place of intimacy and devotion. One more time. The authority that you and I walk in, it comes from our identity and knowing who we are. But our identity only comes to us by way of intimacy. I only know who I am, Karen, because I found out who he is. And the closer I get to see him, the more I get to see me, both the good and the bad. Isaiah was caught up after his cousin Uzziah had died, and he saw the Lord high and lifted up, and the train of the Lord, his robe, filled the temple. 
cherubims and seraphims, and they were crying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was, who is, and who is to come. But Isaiah's response was, woe to me. Play strong, L. Woe to me, for I'm a man of unclean lips. Drawing closer to God will have you see yourselves in two ways. One, how God sees you, but also how you really are. It'll have you see, man, I've been called to heal the sick and raise the dead. I've been called to be a, a New Testament priest, but it'll also say, man, I got to work on this porn addiction. I got to work on my idolization of finances. I got to work on how I treat my spouse. I got I to gotta learn how to forgive a little more. It'll make you say, Lord, I am so close to your holiness that I see how far from your holiness I am. But also being in his presence lets you know that he's a father and you're a son. And that no matter how much you've messed up, you still have access. I don't have kids yet, but one day I'll get married, have a lot of sex. And I'll grow our children's ministry. We're going to have a big children's ministry. But I want to tell you something. I'll never need a children's minister for my kids. When they turn teenagers and I feel like killing the ones I used to hug, and all the parents said, amen. But when they turn teenagers, youth pastor might suck, but I won't need them because I'm going to be their youth pastor. Because I've been called with priestly authority as a man to be priest over my home, but as a believer, to be priest out into the earth. You don't have the Holy Spirit so that you can Shandai Hyundai. That's part of it. I, get to, I love me a good Shandai. I, I will jolt more than you all. But at the end of the day, the Holy Spirit is in us. This is good theology. Please hear me. The Holy Spirit is in us to continue the earthly ministry of Christ. And if we waste the Holy Spirit on feel goods and prophecies about new houses and cars and new land, I get all that and that could be part of the will of God. But if I get a new house, like I'm getting ready to move to this spot that's bigger, the first thing I'm thinking is, okay, we can turn this into a collide office right here. We can move this right here because my mind is not consumed with what I can get on this earth. I've been called to continue the ministry of Christ. So have you. So stand with me. Worship team, help me out. Because you've been tricked. You've been tricked into thinking that I'm supposed to do the ministry. <laughs> You've been tricked into thinking that it's supposed to be the pastors, apostles, and prophets. Friend, we are just here to teach you how to do the work of the ministry. What does that look like? It looks like discipleship. Have you surrendered and submitted to discipleship? Have you surrendered to being trained for the work of the ministry? Have you been trained to learn how to preach the gospel in a corporate atmosphere? Because we want to teach you. We want to teach you what it means to walk as a priest before the Lord. Let me stop and take a moment because I want the Holy Spirit to speak to you. Even those who are watching online, please take a moment with me. Would you just close your eyes and bow your head? I want you to pray this prayer out loud and I want you to wait on the Lord. Just whisper it out loud. Whew. Pray this with me. Say, Father, come on, everybody. Father, I admit that Jesus is my high priest. And as a believer, I've been called to be a priest. Would you speak to me now about areas in my life that need to be surrendered 
so I can walk as a priest.